Thoughtvolutionists, it is time again. Tuesday truly is Thoughtvolution Day, and I'm so happy you've decided to tune in and listen to another amazing episode. I'm your host, Stéphane Dubier, and for you on this fine day, I want nothing more than happiness. I hope you're able to go outside, enjoy a bit of sunshine, feel warmth on your skin, embrace a friend, play with your pet, let your mind exhale for a moment, and smile, smile, smile from the heart. Friends, have you ever been told that you were too outspoken just because you would express concern or simply voice your opinions? How about you're not smart enough or you will never amount to anything? I know I have heard those phrases throughout my own life and so has my guest Yeti. We often don't realize how sharp of a knife our words can truly be until it is too late, until the damage has been done, until the person receiving those words starts believing them. In Yeti's case, what she started believing was that she wasn't good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, skinny enough valuable enough, that she, Yeti, was not enough. How do you fill that void inside of you when you begin to loathe yourself, to see yourself as inadequate every single day? For Yeti, pleasing other people, desperately trying to make them see her and love her, despite the brokenness inside of her inflicted on her by some of those very same people became her coping mechanism. Body image issues and bulimia became a symptom of it. On top of that heavy pile to carry, Yeti also found out she had Lyme disease and ultimately the chokehold of depression with all of its bitterness became more and more unbearable. But Yeti is a survivalist and managed to dig herself out of every bit of dirt that had been thrown on top of her over the years. Digging her way towards happiness, self-acceptance, and a love that became the shovel needed to free herself. Self-love. I cannot wait for you to meet Yeti and listen to her remarkable journey. One that took place in the Netherlands, where Yeti was born, and in Canada, where she now lives. It is a journey of many new beginnings always with the ultimate goal in mind, finding your true self and the happiness that has lied within you all along, waiting for you to finally release it. So let me tell you what Yeti should have been told from the beginning. You are never too outspoken. Speak your mind, be honest to yourself and others. You are smart and bright and the world is longing to hear what you have to say. And you don't need to amount to anything. Others feel authorized to dictate for your life. Find your own path and focus on what you want to amount to. Find your niche, your group of people, and most importantly, your happiness. So without further ado, let's meet one very, very happy Yeti. Trigger warning. This episode contains conversations about bulimia, binging and purging, eating disorders, mental illness, childhood trauma, depression, and body image issues. If any of these subjects are a trigger to you, please prioritize your mental health and skip this episode. Yeti, let me start by saying that I am so glad you are here and that we get to have this conversation today. Before we jump into your story... I mentioned some phrases in the intro that are not kind, encouraging, or uplifting. But I want to start this episode with the complete opposite. So what were some things said to you by others these past days or weeks that were beautiful, unique, or simply managed to stick with you? First off, the most beautiful thing I realized is the word I love you, because I realized that in my childhood, I had never, never, ever heard that. And I tell it to my kids all the time. And my husband tells it to me a lot. And he was the first person to actually really see me as a person. And that means a lot to me. 
I also get a lot of positive comments, very nice words, actually on social media, by all the stories I share about my life. And they are relatable to some people. And they tell me how much it's helping them. And that is just You know, when I hear that, that just makes my day. You grew up in the country of windmills, tulips, Van Gogh, canals, and picturesque cycling routes. The beautiful Netherlands. Can you take us back with you to that place and talk to us about some of the good things you experienced growing up? What I remember from the Netherlands, the beautiful things, is that, yes, you can cycle everywhere. And that is a very big contrast to Canada, where you have to drive everything. So once I moved here, I started to see those beautiful things. And I really loved like the city centers with the patios, canals in some cities and just sitting there, having a coffee, watching people and just the coziness of the country it's it's everything is so small we have this little museum it's called Madura Dam and it's kind of a rebuild of the Netherlands and that's how I view the Netherlands now as a Canadian but actually I have also very beautiful memory of being at Madura Dam as a child I really 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 love that place yeah I I have beautiful memories too. Sadly, we are going to allow for that beautiful picture to start fading as a much harsher reality begins to blend in. And as we talk about those phrases I mentioned in the intro, you are too outspoken. You are not smart enough. You will never amount to anything. When and how did you think the seed for self-loathing was planted in your life? When did you begin to no longer live for yourself but to merely exist as a puppet controlled by expectations and judgment of others. That started actually when I was very young and I had much older siblings. So it was later on I realized just a very different family life than what most children had. They could play with their two-year-older brother or a younger sister. And I did not have those in my life I just had adults adult siblings who already had their different opinions so I just felt that I had to fit in everybody's life and then the same again in school and yeah with friendships and when I was an adult I and I started my healing journey I really realized that it's very young that it actually start you your mind is really programmed in your childhood and during that childhood my only safety and validation I got when I was pleasing others and not knowing or having any idea who I was and just was a person that others wanted me to be and so I was many different versions of myself. Yeti, what did you believe other people wanted you to be? I lived in different worlds. Like my school friends were different than my family. My parents had a small farm, so they fitted into that small farm world. So I had to fit in that. I went to an elementary school that was in a village. But it was there were there were like more people from that came to live from other parts of the country from the Netherlands. So they were more diverse, or I, I can't find a word for it, where they were definitely different than farm people. So I wanted to be like them too, and I wanted to be liked by them. And then I had my older siblings who were like adults, and I wanted to be liked by them. So very, very different people that I all wanted to please. Do you think that in a way, being surrounded by so many adults who, of course, could have been role models, but being surrounded by people who have expectations and certain judgment, do you think that kind of robbed you of your childhood a little bit? Yeah, I do 
I do think so. And I do feel that I was maybe never that little child. I, I remember that I had very good neighbors, very, very nice people. And I was friends with their daughter who was my age. And when I was four, they took me on a vacation to the beach for two weeks. And when I got home, I did not even really like it to be home. And I really had the best, the best time. So that that is still so stunning to me. I, How can a four-year-old be happy and confident with strangers and not be happy to go home and also the thing was that my brothers and sisters started to get married when I was like three four so every time somebody left it kind of felt like an abandonment for me and yeah I, I can not really remember like that I was that playful child and yeah there was a lot of a lot of judgment by my older siblings for sure I mentioned earlier that words can be a very sharp kind of knife. And obviously those words began to cut away pieces of who you actually were, turning you more and more into not even someone, but something else. What begins as self-doubt quickly turned into the conviction that you were not right the way you were, that you had to change to be loved and accepted, that you had to meet some secret code or unattainable standards before you were allowed to become a quote-unquote member of the club of adequate human beings. Can you tell us what happened to you? So the, the interesting thing too is that when you're in it, you you don't know that you are all these different persons. But one thing that for me that gave like a replacement of love was food. Like when I was seven, I already started to eat candies and cookies in like bigger quantities than what you really need. And that gave me sort of warmth in my body that I could not get in other, yeah, in my life, in my home. And so I did not feel, I mean, deep, deep down in my intuition, I knew something was off. I knew that my home was dysfunctional. But the thing about pleasing people, I, I really had to learn that. I really learned that in my 30s, how that dragged on to, into my whole life. And but you just know that when you say something in your house and everybody's laughing, when you say something or people get mad, that you just won't say it. You won't say it anymore because it makes you feel dumb and not seen. And I guess I felt all my life not seen and not respected, but I really, I really did not know any better. And I guess that was the same thing for my parents too. They, they had seen that example and they didn't know any better. And I think a lot of people in my environment were, were the same during that time or had, yeah, the world, the world was also different. We did not have an online worlds where, where you can, you know, Google things and is this normal and I feel this. And so I just felt really, really alone, I guess, uh, as a child. I, yeah, I felt really, really alone in a very cold home. Like literally my home was cold. And, and I, I started to replace that with the warmth of food and even at a very young age, yeah, seven. Obviously, for a child, that makes sense, right? I mean, you find something that gives you that warmth that you long for. Sadly, that warmth didn't last. The food could not really fill the void. And instead, it drove you deeper down a spiral that pretty quickly ended up being out of control. So because I had my older siblings, there always was a lot of talk about our legs are too big, our hips are too big. And I was just a very normal looking child. When I look back at pictures, I just was a very normal, healthy looking child. But in my head, I was already too big. So that's not based on social media, but just talk in my family and even 
one time I had a sleepover at family and cousins who were also older. They were talking about that genetic thing that we all had. So I thought already at like 10 years old that my body didn't look good or and then I started to eat more and more when I was like 12 but I also had like very long cycle rides but I did gain a little bit of weight then and then when I was 16 I really started my first diet like starving myself sadly and I lost weight and people complimented on it that I looked better which is some of the worst things you can actually say, I think, now. And so I felt validated by that weight loss. And when I was 18, some friends moved already to Amsterdam to university, and I still had to do another year. And I guess another abandonment issue came up for me. I felt very alone. I always was at this friend's house, and she was not there anymore. She moved. So now I was 100% had to be in my parents' house. And then I started to figure out that, oh, I can eat lots of amounts without gaining weight. And that is eating and then purging. And so there the bulimia started. And so there I could eat, but not gain like hundreds of pounds. And that's kind of how I, yeah, lived like that for a long time, on and on and off, in periods of stress, it was worse. And so that was a very dysfunctional cope, way of coping for me that, yeah, started young and then we really continued when I was 18. I had my first episode of bulimia. Was there anybody during these lonely, lonely times who you could reach out to, a friend, somebody you could confide in, somebody who was a source of comfort. Obviously, I mean, you mentioned that your family was not really a safe place to confide in, but were there other people who kind of pulled you aside and tried to be there for you? My older siblings, they did try their best all while they were living on their own and married they had me come over for like two weeks. My one brother, oldest brother, actually lived in Germany for 10 years. So every summer I would go there for two weeks. And that was, for me, that was a beautiful experience. And I always secretly hoped that I didn't have to go home, that I could go to school there. And I had two older sisters where I did the same thing. But again, I had to, I was a different different persons with each of them because they were all different adults and in order to be liked or I wanted to be liked I just had to play like them but they they did try that way to be there for me but for my own feeling that was not what I really needed nobody really saw me so I did not I mean, I had friends, but oftentimes that was that was all about fun. And I had this big, big wall around me because I was this strong girl and I had no issues because when you show it that you're vulnerable, you're weak, you know, that was maybe a generational thing. And so I never showed any vulnerab vulnerability. Nobody knew about my problems or that I felt so lonely or depressed or even my problems with food. That was that that was my biggest shame at the time. So I wouldn't never tell anybody. And no, there was not really anybody I could talk to or that really saw me, even though I did not really know who I was. But yeah, I had no one. I know you are a strong and bold woman now. One who has successfully completed two Ironman competitions, I might add. But how on earth did your broken body, your broken heart, and your destroyed self-perception manage to still press on at that point in your life? Where did you pull your strength from at that time in your life? I think deep down, there was this gut feeling or this sense of my soul that, that was there that I did not really know that was kind of pushing me forward 
and I had also very strong, strong dreams or visualizations of what I what I wanted later in life. I by all the things I had witnessed close to me, I knew I looked at other examples and was like, that's how I want to live. I don't want to live like my parents or some other family. I want to be a different person. But of course I did not I did not know how to how to approach that. But I guess deep down there's always been this go-getter mentality within me. Even though at that time I felt yeah very alone and also like a failure because when I was I did my high school and then in the Netherlands you are you have different levels and then you're ready for university. So I was ready for law school. And I just had this idea about going to law school and my parents totally did not support that, but I still wanted to go, but I, I dropped out because of the lack of the lack of support. Like it was very hard to find housing in Amsterdam, even at that time. And so I felt completely lost and then I failed. So I felt like a failure. I, but I had no idea, no idea what I really liked. I knew that law law was pretty boring for me. And I think in hindsight, I did not really fit into the school system as well, a traditional school system. But I think there was this fire just deep down within me that just kept me going. And I think that that little fire, if it's there, that might make the difference in really going after what you want. And at some point in my life, going after what I wanted was just healing, getting rid of that eating disorder, you know, and then the next step comes and the next step comes. So I'm grateful that, that I always had that. And yeah, I think that was very helpful. And, and also I listened to music a lot. That was very, very, what also pulled me through on my evenings alone in my room, listen to the Dire Straits, Eric Clapton, music like that. That really, yeah, really, really helped me. You mentioned healing. Now, healing is a physical process. It's an emotional process. It's a process that touches on very many things, and that's very unique to each person. Sadly, the eating disorder was not the only thing that needed to heal, as you also faced a host of other medical issues. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? When I was in my 40s, I had Lyme disease. And at first, I did not know what it was, but I started to have symptoms in 2013. And I also had a bite mark from a tick, although I never I never saw a tick. But I, I did have a rash. And so that was proof of Lyme disease, which at that time, there was not not so much known about it. And so I went to a lot of different doctors and I, I have a very good supportive medical doctor where I live. And he was always helping me to look for answers. So I went to the US, uh, to LA a couple of times. And eventually in 2017, I was finally diagnosed with Lyme disease. And I had, yeah, def uh, several issues in my body like insomnia i had a lot of digestive issues i had a lot of neck pain and other pain a lot of brain fog which i didn't realize at the time it was brain fog but once you're out of it once i was out of it i was like wow i just felt like i was hungover all the time and then i was driving my kids to school in that state so it's so yeah i had those issues and I had always felt my body and my mind were two different things. It just felt very, very separate. And maybe people can relate to that, but it it didn't feel connected. Re big disconnect there. And when I was, there was this one doctor in, in the US and she was like, when you're having an illness, it can be, or it, it's usually like stored pain in the body, stored trauma. And then I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Then I was really ready to heal that. And of course, that was a process. 
And I started with meditation. And I mean, you have like a lot of different types of meditation. But in my case, I I like to listen to guided meditations and and just really get into it and calm the body down. Uh, Breathing. I did emotional freedom technique tapping, which I love, which, which really helped helped for me to go back to that childhood and face how I felt during that time and how I did not have a voice and that I was a people pleaser. I learned about that. Thank you, YouTube, where I found people that went through the same things as me and I started to read books about it that were very relatable and I did not feel so alone anymore. I felt like, hmm... That is such a powerful thing. Oh, that was very powerful for me that I felt like, oh, I'm not weird or I'm not dysfunctional. Like somebody else experienced something similar. And that, yeah, that was, uh, that was in my forties. And that, so the healing really started because I had a physical illness. So before that point in time, what toll did the combination of bulimia, Lyme disease, and depression take on your body and your mind? And when would you say you were at your absolute lowest? So let me first tell you that I have a husband. I'm, I'm married for almost 26 years. And I met him when I was 21 and broken. But magically, we're still together because... He was the first one that really saw me and he put me on this pedestal from day one. And I really was welcomed into his family. He had a very warm childhood. And so there were kind of my second parents. And so that was one thing that really saved me, even though I still felt depressed and had to go through all, all, all this for 20 years. My lowest points was I think at when I was 45, I I was like also thinking, oh, maybe I'm at the half of my life. No, it started to feel like there was a pressure. And I had, I mean, I have done things, I had done things in my life, but it was together with my husband and we have raised two beautiful boys. And I think another thing that was relatable. My husband is dyslex has dyslexia and pretty severe. So we I don't know, we were we we are a good team together. But when I was 45, I felt I really hit my rock bottom. I felt depressed. I I was sick. I could not do Ironmans anymore because that had been my identity a, a strong, tough woman raising two little kids. And I could not anymore because my body was broken down. And of course, my mind was also very broken. And I, yeah, I had to, I had to heal from, from that Lyme disease. And that's, yeah, when I, 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 like I said before, I started to see that connection between that things happened to me and maybe my childhood wasn't that worry-free. I mean, I knew that it was dysfunctional and even my my parents-in-law would, they could see that and those things that I came from a dysfunctional family, but I just felt like I had done nothing with my life other than raising kids. I, I mean, I live on a farm. I have a farm with my husband, but I'm not really a farm I don't love it. It's not my passion. I'm just here. So I felt like completely empty. I had no goal. I ha- Yeah, I had no goal. I was like, I don't want to live the rest of my life going to lunch with girlfriends and drink wine or go golfing, which I, I don't golf, but a lot of people in my area do. So I was, yeah, that was, I had to figure out what do I want? So that was I had I hired different coaches and I think that that always worked better for me than a real psychologist or for me real people that went through life situations the, those were the magic magical moments for me so when I was 45 46 I was like okay we have to change this and 
I had a coach and she had like a very good question, like, how would you like your dream date to to look like? So I had to write it down. And it just felt kind of strange because I was like, I cannot, I can never live my life like that. That, that will not come true. I can't do these things. I'm not good enough. All these old stories from my childhood came up, but I still had to write it down. And that's that's when I changed things and I went back to school. Change must be your middle name. <laughs> I know life threw rocks your way, but you carried on. You kept walking. Not only that, you also left the Netherlands at some point and moved to Canada. Can you tell us how that came about and what made you realize that you needed to change your life in order to actually reclaim it? Moving to Canada was my husband's idea. It all started with a summer vacation, like we would go to Spain or like many Europeans. And But this this year, that year we would go to Canada. And I told him like, don't think that I'm going to move to Canada because I know that a lot of Dutch people have had moved to Canada. And we went from Vancouver to Calgary. We rented a car, had booked hotels, and I I loved it. We both loved it. And it was my husband's childhood dream to have a farm here, which he never told me. I did not know that. <laughs> and I don't, I, it just felt so good. I felt so good here. It was so beautiful. And I knew instantly we were like, we were all in that vacation. We actually already went, we contacted a realtor and looked at an at an old farm actually and and yeah we 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 had it in for Canada both and yeah looking back that for me was was the way really to to become free to cut the cords with my past I felt that I had nothing in to keep me in the Netherlands I I felt there was nobody waiting for me really or wanted me there or would 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 stay in the Netherlands for me. I mean, if somebody else had to leave, they would. I, I had already experienced that. So I was like, yeah, why would I stay? And yeah, we just followed our dreams. We were like late 20s, naive. <laughs> and I think that night uh, that that helped too. Because it is uh, as you probably know yourself too from moving. It's it's like a big, big step. But it, it, yeah, it, it worked out really well. And I think that change is also, I'm a little bit into human design and change or changing directions is part of who I am. And once, and that was all, always, I had shame around that because I was shamed for that, for wanting to change things, wanting something different again. And, and I know now that it's just, it's just, it's okay. It's part of who I am. And why continue something when you don't love it? And so, yeah, we loved it here. Of course, it was hard. I mean, everything is different than it is in Europe. But it, it really was, for me, I know now, so much easier to heal and to break free from old generational patterns and uh, society rules society societal rules that were in the Netherlands and I st I still see those rules and I feel so much freer here in Canada I I don't think I could have become the person actually I am now and what I'm doing if I was still there I would have that feeling of People holding me back or things holding me back, I think. What I described earlier as a kind of zombie-like state, being a puppet controlled by others, the urge to please people, to fit in, it is something that you have phrased as living life on autopilot. I like that image a lot because it shows how we hand over control, self-control, to this invisible authority of others. You now tell people to unapologetically go after their desires. And I love that. 
what is your life like now? And who is this new and reinvented Yeti? So my life is so much different than what it was before. But I do know that some of the things I'm doing today were a vision in my head. Like I I had these dreams and ideas of how I wanted to live. And but it, it seemed impossible and unattainable because that that's I was told that and those were the stories I was telling myself. But I took myself through some courses in my late 40s. I actually had to leave some friendships too and really was on my own. I, I have my husband and boys and, and we're close and very they're very supportive of I say sometimes they're weird they're weird mom but that is actually uh, my husband that's actually why he married me because I always have something new or I come up with something different and I'm never boring so I had to leave some friends or really think of yeah my life it was there was a lot it was evolved around a lot of gossiping, you know, things that were happening in my little town. I call it drama. And, and I realized those things don't make me really happy. They just make me really scared and unsettled. And 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 I, I did not know any different. Uh, there, were, there always had been gossip and that kind of stuff, talking about people. But there was something uneasy about that. And I just knew that I wanted to feel different and that I had if I wanted to go through school I had to do it judgmental free because people are so judgmental and I I, that's something I always try to work on not to be judgmental and to just you know respect people and and having just different lives and I've felt alone kind of during that time but I also I realized that I was always looking for people and friendships. And yes, it did people pleasing. And I was always looking for these people while I was actually just looking for myself. And then through different, I I hired different coaches. I did different things, like I mentioned before, emotional freedom technique, which is tapping, which really, really resonated with me, really helped me. And I really, I started to discover what I wanted, what my desires were, what what I feel good about. I always have loved fashion. I have loved makeup. I actually did makeup artistry in the Netherlands. And but somehow it seemed impossible to do that because I live on a farm. And can you imagine how a woman has to look when she lives on a farm? So yeah, I don't like stereotypes. I've never liked stereotypes. And so I was always sort of a rebel in that or disruptive. But somehow I found the strength to go after that. And thanks to the online world we have today, we can say bad things about it. We can say good things. I'm choosing the good and I'm trying to be the good inspiration. And and I found the strength to start sharing my story and I, I was I started out as a coach myself but then it got gradually it got more into being an influencer or now nowadays they say a lot they use the word creator and a model which are all things that I never ever thought I could ever do in my life and I I decided to share my yeah to share my story and that also was very, very healing for me. And from it, it, I really took little steps and one step got me further. And then I found, you know, proof, hey, I can, I can, I can do this. And I, and I think that's very important in life that you have these little celebrations and you look at proof, even at the littlest things that you have achieved. And that, that, gets you to the next step and so yeah right now I'm traveling a lot also alone uh, without my husband which is maybe weird to people but I love it and so we 
kind of created this whole new life that works for me, works for us. And yeah, I really do do a lot of things in life that I love. And I'm really aware of everything. Of, of course, I have also off days or I have a day that I feel sad or even depressed. I wouldn't really call it depression anymore, but that's very normal to feel the highs and lows. But there's just this general feeling of I'm having the control in my life. I'm having the power. I am the creator. And and I really was a victim, which I learned in my past family to be a victim. Um, But I learned and, and I also thanks to my husband, too, that I am actually a powerful creator and I can mend life my way. And of course, there are always things that are uncontrollable, but I'm not a zombie anymore, just driving unaware through life. I'm, I'm very aware of everything now. I love what you said. You are the creator of your life. And there may be aspects that you cannot shape, but there are many things in your life that you do control. And taking that control back out of the hands of others is so powerful. And I think there are many people out there today who need to hear that. Now, if you could talk to yourself, to that girl in the faded photographs from years ago, the girl that was still very much convinced that life needs to be lived for the benefit of other people. What would you say to her? First of all, I would give her a big hug and have her sit on my lap and tell her that I love her a lot. And and I, I actually tell, I, I tell her this. <laughs> I have told her this sometimes, that don't worry, worry less, everything everything will work out for you. You will have an amazing life. And yeah, especially the the love part. But I I always tell her, don't worry too much and everything will work out for you. Do those little voices from the past, the ones that used to tell you that you were not enough, do they still creep up sometimes? And what is your response now when that happens? Yeah, once you become more aware and more aware and you become used to the new you for me yeah there are still moments that I that I feel a certain way or when somebody tells me something somebody says something and I feel like like this old defense mechanism come up or I want to react which I was very reactive person in the past then I just know very quickly, no, 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 hold on, hold on. This this really is, this is an old feeling. This feeling that you have now, that's what I tell myself, and which is true, is, is a feeling that was created somewhere in your childhood. And it, it is not from now. It, 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 this, this is just my brain linking back to an old situation. And that, that is the thing for everybody. And with practice, you, you can really change change that. And those moments pop up less and less. And sometimes, yeah, it, it definitely gets less. If I if I would I would say like two years ago, I would have a lot more moments that I would feel small and have those feelings. But I've really found the those feelings are really related how I felt back when I was little. And what also really helped for me is setting boundaries and really protecting myself and learning also to respect myself because people did not really respect me because I wasn't respecting myself. And so that helps with the little voices too. But really trust me they they really get less and less and less once you can say hey hey but that's not that's not true that was that was something in the past and that is yeah it's such a such a good feeling that you can 
overcome those stories. And and there will be situations when something new comes and something new means uncomfortable. I don't know it, so I don't really want to know. And then the stories sometimes come back, but you can really start to learn to pick those stories apart and to to tell something different and then feel different. And yeah, another thing that helped me is really hanging out with people that want the best for me. I really had to learn that too, because as soon as I let people disrespect me, those voices, the chance of those voices coming back is bigger. What are behavioral patterns you have since developed that put you first? And what do you say to people who say that putting yourself first, loving yourself, that is selfish or woke, as we often hear nowadays, <laughs> and that to them, it is not something they would pursue? Well, the, the biggest thing that changed for me is that I'm eating disorder free. I really found a peace relationship with food. I feel free with food. and. It's amazing how food then correlates to love, money, all these things together. Because I basically had the same feelings. I, I would, for example, also shop like crazy and disrespect money. And I had the same feeling around food. I would binge on food and disrespect food, disrespect my body. I, I do not, I mean, I still love to shop once in a while, but it's not like, it's it's a different feeling. I do it for different reasons. It, it was, I was trying to fill this void with food, with, with the news. I would watch the news and be like hung to the TV and watching like the newest drama that happened in the world. And I really don't do that anymore. I, I just hear it in other ways, but it kind of also, I was... A little bit addicted to that that adrenaline that drama and I don't use these things anymore I found more like a peace it, it that sounds woo woo I found always myself inner peace but I just feel more calm and and just more joy and happiness with with how I am inside I don't I don't need these outside things in extremities anymore of, of course I buy things and, and I love food but now I enjoy food and I don't feel guilt and shame around it anymore I have let go of a lot of shame guilt and I've one big thing at the root of my eating disorder was how I viewed my body and basically as it turned out it was the view of how my siblings viewed their body. That's how I viewed my body for most of my life. Always trying to be very, very skinny. I would be good if I was skinny. So I was going up and down always with my weight. And so that has stabilized now too. And I, I have accepted sort of how my, my genetics are, which what my siblings always talked about, that... I have accepted those parts that I don't need to be super skinny to be to be lovable. And to me, that is self-love. Accepting things that aren't perfect, because you cannot you cannot love everything about you. I don't love my past, but I got a lot of strength out of it. And I would always the most striking thing about self-love is when you're in an airplane and when you have to put your mask on first before you put it onto your kids. And that is it's very cliche, but it's so true. Because if you don't put your mask on, you cannot help anybody else. And with all the things I have done to myself, my marriage is better and I have a good relationship with my kids. You know, I was I was broken when I was a mother. So I wasn't perfect and just knowing all these things that is self-love and that is not selfish and I have just become a better person 
because I am more aware of the things I do. I do not do things anymore because society wants me to do that or a certain group wants me to do something. I do it because I really feel that I want to do it from my heart. And I, I feel that the love that I have for myself made me a better human being. And I can give more to others and I help others. While in the past, while I, I did not love myself, I reacted to other people. And I mean, how good is that for the world if we all react to each other? And then about the desires, I mean, everybody has different desires and everybody has different circumstances. It doesn't, for somebody, for, for my for my youngest son, his desire is to be an engineer, which he's pursuing. For another, it's being a school teacher. It, it, or for someone else, it can be traveling or living in a, in a, in a motor home. It, it, it is so different. And I grew up also in that lag mentality where it was like, when that person has something, I cannot have it. The, the mentality of there isn't enough in the world. Well, there is, there is enough in the world to go around for everybody. If you look for it and if you go after it, I feel that the world is really a better place if we're all loving ourselves and respecting ourselves. And that way we can love others and respect respect and see others more for who they are. You are not just a new person with a completely new outlook on life. You also use your experience, your lived experience, to help others. Can you tell us more about what you do and how you hope to make a positive impact in people's lives, and especially in the lives of women over 40? Well, I started out as, as a coach doing what I do and gradually it changed direction and I kind of just followed it and right now I'm more in the creator role speaking sharing my story and being a model making videos pictures doing photo shoots partnering with like-minded brands that have same values as I have And while doing that, I share bits and pieces of my story of my life. And the one reason was that I think I never felt seen. So that way I started to be seen because other people came to me and, and they, they really saw me. So I felt, I felt seen for the first time in my life by doing this. And I, I, then I told myself, yeah, but that's not a good reason. But now I'm like, yeah, no, it is a good reason. I mean, I felt invisible for most of my life. I actually had invisible illnesses going with that. So now I'm uh, very much being seen. And it really gives me fulfillment that other people, that I help them, Uh, with parts of their life and, and accepting themselves and learning who they are, because I find we're all very different and unique. And what might work for me is not working for you. And the more different people we have sharing their stories, there'll, there'll be different people that can relate to that and that will be helped with that. And like we talked about the word self-love, which is such a Yeah, what is self-love? I, I, I thought oftentimes in the past, I want to love myself, but I had no idea what that meant. What does that mean? And I think by sharing our stories and sharing my stories, th that really, really helped helps others, which, yeah, is very fulfilling for me. And, and at the same time, it also healed me even more by just writing about everything. And, and I also want the world to know that it's it's okay to not be okay. And you don't have to have this strong wall around you to pretend you're somebody that you aren't, which I was in the past. So, and yeah, I'm, I'm basically doing all the things I, I thought were impossible, even five years ago. If you had to condense 
your life lessons and share them with somebody out there in just a few short sentences, what would you say to them? How would you pitch those lessons to our audience? Yeah, I think it's so important to look at what happened to you in childhood. When when a new situation comes around the corner and you feel very uncomfortable about it, a very good question to ask yourself is how would how would I feel as a child when this happened to me? I think going back to to that childhood helped me, gave me and heal that, gave me so much understanding about myself. And I think that it's so important in life to understand yourself, who you are, what you want. You have to respect yourself. You have to love yourself and you have to also be kind on yourself. And I'm guilty of that last one. I can be very hard on myself. And then I notice that in my kids too. And it's 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 so important to be to be kinder. And we're we're so demanding of ourselves. Yeah, just value ourselves and see ourselves. I, I was invisible for most of my life, but also invisible for myself. I did not see myself. And I think, yeah, getting to know yourself is so important and and deciding, finding out who you are and who you want to be around. And I mean, life is too short and, and it is so important to care for yourself. Yeti, I am blown away. Thank you so very much for spending this special hour with us. Now, if people want to learn more about you and all of the amazing things you do, how can they reach out? I would love it for you to come visit me on my Instagram, True Yeti, which you will find in the show notes. If you have any questions, DM me. I always uh, have an answer back and I'm there for you. And that is where I share most of my adventures that are going on in my life and also my my stories, what I experience. And I'm always being honest and real. And if our audience comes back with tons of questions, will you return for a follow-up episode with me? Yes, absolutely. I would love to answer questions and and i loved being here you had very good very good questions and uh yeah i love to answer the question and be back i love the images yeti gave us in her story put on your mask before helping others thoughtvolutionists there is nothing selfish about making sure you are happy healthy and in the right mindset If anything, that is an essential prerequisite for anybody to be able to care for others. This story is also a reminder for all of the parents out there. Just think about what a significant impact Yeti's childhood had on a huge chunk of her life, and how all she ever really wanted was a warm and loving home that would allow her to be accepted for who she was. So, when you talk to your kids tonight, make sure they know They are perfectly fine as they are. Give them that big hug Yeti would give her younger self if she could. You know we live in unprecedented times with social media presenting us every day with what the new ideals are, what beauty is supposed to be, and how we are expected to fit in. So if your kids use social media, and many of them will, be attentive. Let's hope their role models are the yetis in the world. People who have already learned that what truly matters often lies within us and that accepting and loving ourselves, flaws, blemishes, scars and all, is the true path to happiness. If you would like to connect with Yeti, please check out her website. That is trueyeti.com, T-R-U-J-E-T-T-Y.com. amazing person she is, with so much lived experience to share. Of course, you can also get in touch with us. Find us online at thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. That is thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. 
You may also call our voicemail number at 864-501-5033. That is 864-501-5033 and leave your questions for Yeti, for me, or for any of our other guests. Of course, I would also love for you to rate, review, and subscribe to Thoughtvolution on your favorite podcast app, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, or even YouTube. Leave us your comments and likes on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. We are Thoughtvolution on all of those platforms. Lastly, my usual pitch, (laughs) check out our merch store and treat yourself with a cool hoodie, t-shirt, or hat to show the world that you are a part of this amazing community. ThoughtVolutionPodcast.com is the merch destination, and that is also where you can find our intake form to become a guest yourself. The world is waiting for your story to be shared, whatever that story may be. I'm here for you, so what are you waiting for? ThoughtVolutionPodcast.com Alrighty, friends. Don't forget, Tuesday is Thoughtvolution Day. I love you, Lotsies. And for the sake of all of us, including yourself, please be kind to each other. <laughs>